Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Thank you, Dylan. Um, good evening, and ladies and gentlemen, and thank you all for coming this evening as we celebrate the release of Cindy Rennie's chapbook, Listen to the Codex. We're going to hear from Cindy a little bit later, and we're going to go in the reverse order um, from the bios that Dylan just read. Um, so, And that's important because there will be a quiz later. Just kidding. Okay. Um, my name is Ann Yale, and I'm the editor at Yak Press, um, the press who published the series. And it's called the Native Blossoms Chapbook Series. And each of the chapbooks in the series has a constraint poem. And the constraint poem takes the name of a native plant that's native to the poet's locale. So it doesn't have to be Southern California. It can be anywhere in the world, really. Although the poets we've published so far are all from Southern California. Um, but it takes the name of a plant, the Latin name of a plant, and has a poem included in the collection that is the poet's interpretation. It can be on any topic whatsoever. Um, so by way of introduction of the series, I'd like to read you a poem of my own. And forgive me for plugging the whole series, but this is from Liturgy of Small Feathers, and it's called Non-Native Species. I've heard this story repeated often. The bride of a homesteader or fighter pilot, alfalfa farmer or real estate developer, all prospectors of a different crop who sobbed at first sight. Beige grasses lean, parched and weighted with unseen heat. Elm, chestnut, and willows weep, all bowed in the same direction. Fine brown silt collects in all the windowsills. The wives weep frustration, trying to keep ahead of the dust. The raven's constant ca, ca, caveat attempts to crowd out desert, either madness or folly. Even the iconic tumbleweeds themselves rolled in from the Russian tundra on another famed migration. What bears the seeds of our great suburban discontent? The relentless wind or the shallow rootedness which brought us to this place? We come searching entrance to the well. Welcome to the well. 
Um, Nancy Carroll, who you'll be hearing from in a few minutes, and I started the Native Blossoms chapbook series a few years ago to plant some seeds, literal and metaphorical. On a somewhat literal level, the project is a response to the prolonged California drought and an effort to promote the propagation of native or drought-resistant vegetation. On a more artistic level, the project invites poetry of place as it asks poets to explore the connections to the natural landscape, the untamed, the indigenous. As I mentioned, each one has a constraint poem, and I'll give you an example. Showy evening primrose, Oenothera speciosa. Showy evening primrose creeps up rocky inclines along freeway entrances, invading, invading alien soil, like us. Another disturbance-loving species Homeless immigrants in exile. Our addictions banish us. Too restless to be still. Too restless to go home. Our first reader is Nancy Carroll, whose chapbook, Night Walks, is the first book in the series. It covers a lot of ground. Nancy, who is also a photographer, writes like a painter or a visual artist in that her poetry presents the reader with clearly drawn vignettes. Her work is notably feminist. She's also an ekphrastic poet, which means she looks at works of art or photographs, visual pieces, and invents a narrative that goes along with the image. She is the queen of inventive metaphors. And um, her best work has, a, you'll notice, a sense of whimsy. Please welcome Nancy Carroll. Okay, thank you, Anne, um, and thank you. I, before I start, I want to give a nod and a great thank you to all of the Los Angeles Valley College students who are here with uh, their uh, boyfriends, husbands, wives, moms, grandmothers, sisters, friends. Thank you guys for coming out. It means a lot that you guys came out, so thank you. So we've got a little bit, we've got quite a bit of the San Fernando Valley here in Hollywood tonight. Um, as Anne explained uh, of this particular chapbook, it has a constraint poem that I wrote specifically for the chapbook. And the, uh, the flower I picked is quite interesting because uh, unlike the uh, illustration on the front, it's really quite a vibrant, vibrant uh, blossom, bright reds and yellows. And it's called Blazing Star, and I will not butcher the Latin. <laughs> so, here we go. If I had legs, there would be late night strolls past rocks that line the blue oak's pasture. 
past rocks that line the blue oaks pasture. Midnight swims around islands and lakes and streams with sages soaking the air. My roots, like Aquilian wings, would shoot upward from remote canyons, past the blood-red horizons of small decisions. Sunlight would sleep, neglecting to sear charcoal stains into my leaves. Evening caresses, night wanders, midnight massages, creases and scars, and the moon remains a vagabond in another era. Um, the next poem I'm going to read uh, is called Chaco Canyon. The landscape is credible for all its sandstone, rock, fire. Empty rooms, mere engagements offer pathways, light steps through the inconsolable breath of rainless winds. It has been said, the white arrows are heavy with rain, but prayers are red as aniline dye, and it is they that are heavy next to my father's swollen feet. Abandonment is only departure. Parcher, exodus with copper bells, parrots, and broken ceramic shards that speak bloodless terrors of shamans, their shadows. Light here, a severe degree of canting and recanting, lies between hunger and theater. Simple disclosure travels on foot with bits of digested memory worn around our necks like Mexican coral. Mountain eagles shriek in what remains woven between brothers, around enemies, and furls like snapped, angry twigs, mere estimations for cameras, their crews. But even here, these journeys are hobbled mules and cobwebs. This one is called Night Walks, part one. It starts with train whistles across rectangle riverbeds that ends up on padded lawn furniture woven for spring. These late night walks smell like Hollywood fog, all mist and paint. Starlight is not real. Moonlight refracts, barbecue table, red wooden roosters, and apricot trees. All clocks are set for dawn. The true reason my rooms are piled with books, suitcases, casually strung clothes, I like construction sites. Two, it begins on a boulevard of orange light. The 7-Eleven blazes green, red, white, and the gilded Buddhist temple threatens like a bull, horns pointed for blood. There were coyotes once. Now this walk ends in front of a dark door locked to block melees or in parades. I only knocked once. Others call this sleepwalking. It begins with adolescence and ends with chewing gum stuck to the sides of my crown. Four, I discover flight. Sidewalks, city walks, and backyards keep gravity hidden beneath layers of limed quartzite. Lavender patterns drizzle a hidden hypnosis. My feet still throb from the pole. 
five. A walk in May is broken shingles and street lamps that sputter a forced screams. Raccoons stagger across front yards. This is not the land of bells. Six, I like construction sites. Others call it sleepwalking. My crowns still throb from the pole, and this is not the land of bells. The Rose Garden. The promise was walls for safety. Lydia holds her gardening gloves while Rodney slaps flies off sunburned arms. Stretching marriage this far has proven quiet. There were never supposed to be dahlias next to her tea house. Stone by stone, footpaths wind through thorns, ivy, a bench that needs repair. He gathers his tools, leaning them one at a time against her tea house. He is looking for reversals. She is searching for bricks. They both hold wooden gates between their fingers, waiting, waiting, waiting to hear the sound of water as it crests. Um, the next one that I'm going to read is an acrostic poem directly for Cindy Sherman's uh, a 19, one of her 1977 film stills, uh, number five. And this is titled, Woman at Kitchen Table. Letters stamped from Thailand and Hong Kong spill fog into her ashtray, hide the hard remains of expectation and chewing gum. Freckled language is everywhere. She wonders if there is time for lip gloss before murmurs of war define the last moving target. The envelopes are silver nitrate and river. She reaches for hyacinth and jasmine. Cold pebbles pour out instead a steady gaze that comes because all charades conclude with the director shouting, cut. Um, this is entitled uh, Kasba, and I have an epigraph by Barbara Guest. So, the sil so silence is pictorial when silence is real. Stairwells and mold twist through her hair. A gypsy moment spells abandon. Here, smoke is French or curried like dates stolen in deep sleep. Her wrists dappled, not with heady Lamar diamonds, but ringlets of brass, glass, small mahogany crosses left in her mother's fraying pockets. Threads as soft as, like, the last kiss Papa offers at sundown. Language drips like boxed Turkish oranges, gold-boned but certain Inez wipes her lips with sails from ships that salt her mirrors, windows, doors, a blazing of refracted thresholds. And my last two poems, this one is called The Cruelty of Nests, and I have an epigraph from Sean Bishop from his work, a Letter to Toss from the Air, Airplane, Airborne Plane. Bird-like, the therapist demanded me this letter. A careful tangling of string, twig, acorn, the nestling of curried down is frenzy, is hunger, is unity. Five open mouths clamor. 
and ritual fuels diminutive chimneys for choral pronouncement, choral silence. The strong bury the weak, rising, rising, rising into wing, and the harsh sounds of spring circle reductive around my backyard's feral steps into isolation. The shorter the line, the wider the break. And the last poem I'm going to read, it's part of a new collection I'm working on uh, that deals with echo justice. And it's, this is called Zoo, number one. July is not a good month for gorillas. Through nose smudge cloudy glass, summer camp children shriek as Jabiri and Hassani declare their kingdom space in Griffith Park's paved hillsides. Hassani shakes his arm, waving twigs, and Jabiri stops the ground, both charging the glass like inflamed tendons. The children of Valley Christian Summer Camp scamper, then return for more, raising their phones like skilled paparazzi. Foraging is a disturbed majesty. Jabiri turns his silver back towards the crowd as Hassani knuckle walks away, looking for wild celery leaves. Racing to the sleeping lions, campers relinquish their spots for more cameras, strollers, doting grandparents. Sticky-fingered toddlers ask to be held up higher, adding new smears to the collective signature of Western lowland preservation. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. As you can tell, although there is a constraint poem in each chapbook, other than that, poets are free to write about any topic or theme that they choose. For example, Cody Dietz, who is a PhD candidate at the University of North Dakota and therefore could not be with us today, um, hails from the Antelope Valley and writes of his brother's addiction. And I'd like to read um, two poems from Cody's collection. The first one is Joshua Trees, Yucca Brevifolia. And it is dedicated to his brother and R.G. In the great expanse of sky and nothing, we pass cigarettes back and forth. The only holy incense we know timid offerings to the teenage gods of rebellion and getting lucky. Each sacramental stick carried out into the desert. Where else do sacraments belong? Brothers, we share apathy, exhaled through the nose, staining clothes and fingertips, vanilla. From the depths of our chests, each streak of smoke flies off like a pale crow. I'm nostalgic for a past that doesn't exist, in a town that was never real. And though it's still years to come, and now we're still in this together, I can already see me getting out of this place and you, standing alone, out in the Joshua trees, pressed against all that 
nothing. And the second one is called Visit Home Number Two. When my orbit had finally swung back, I sat in the living room sipping coffee with mom, the afternoon sun printing bars of light on the wall. The game turned low and her voice sunk. Bad brother. Like I was some lesser cane, sowing temptation in these fields, like I drew the map of roads leading out of you. Like I was responsible for your cut break lines and the slight slope the whole town is built on. I was just almost a man, driving these desert roads, eyes peeled for a shortcut. What I found, what clung to you like smoke, was not just one of the things we found in the empty fields, a usable couch, bed springs, a steel refrigerator with its cord buried in dirt like someone had plugged it into the world. What we found, a weightlessness, was already in me and in you, a weakness for journeying into nothing. Like all brothers, you followed the trail I'd broken. You just couldn't find your way back. The moon had risen, and it was beginning to get cold. Our next reader is Melissa Malvin Middleton. Like Cody Dietz's work, Pressed Against All That Nothing, Melissa's chapbook, Hover the Bones, digs through the garden of family ties to unearth profound connection and upsetting loss. Melissa, who is also a playwright and a musician, uses highly musical language in her work. You'll note that Melissa's work also obsesses with time. That is a musician's habit. Even as it deals with a timeless subject, family relationships, there's a sense of precious nostalgia in her work, which ultimately leaves us with a sense of grace. Please welcome Melissa Malvin Middleton. Well, it's an honor to be here today. It's an honor to be at Skylight Books, and thank you so much, Cindy, for having me read today. It's a true pleasure. Uh, the first poem that I'm going to read is called uh, Bogan Via, and uh, this was uh, my constraint poem, and it was inspired by my mother's Bogan Via plant. Bogan Via. This canopy of shade, this corpus of spiny ferocity and Hollywood cerise, interlaced fragile roots once ensconced, my mother's paper flower becomes wellspring. I cut the overgrown vines. Even with leather gloves, spikes hook my flesh like they clung to hers. Her burgundy tributary empties into me, and we cascade with the magenta bracts, blanketing the pine-needled earth that conceals dead lawn. 
drought-tolerant clusters of petite white flowers palmed in crepe of hot pink emerge finer under stress, crave warmth, and rise. It towers me. Ascends blushed cinder block, sinks its thorns into fissures of earthquake swayed partition. The tremors we survived. I slept in her bed, wearing my sneakers with flashlight and jacket pocket. So every time the foundation shook, I didn't have to run outside into the dark alone. She stood fearless, so I didn't have to. My hands cramp from shearing, branch after branch. I lose track of form in this origami jungle. This is called Civil Unrest, uh, and this was inspired by a lot of my mother's stories of her upbringing and traveling various places she lived throughout the country. Civil Unrest, one. Appalachian fog. In the 40s, you were the little Jew with horns living in a trailer, first Oak Ridge haulers, so Grandpa could help unknowingly build the atomic bomb, a hero that scorched generations. Two, Evanston Apartments, safe outdoor sleep on Lake Michigan, and neighbors crowded around Frank, George, and Gracie, Benny, and Huac on the first home screen. Three, Red Scare, Suspicion drove the Union family rust toward the songs of Richie Valens, poodle skirts, and the scent of orange blossoms and smog's lead veil over pink houses and cacti, white rocks on roofs. Four, de facto. Segregation spawned the pretty hunger striker who smoked her Virginia Slims and bore two under canvas of burnt bras and grass while dreams smoldered. Five, Grandma's Chevy, station wagon. We rode it seatbelt free, in, back, rear, rear window open, yet the salmon hibiscus blooms you planted endure. This is uh, was something that I wrote um, shortly after I had had a miscarriage and was right around the time I was returning to graduate school of closure. And it was good, enough to dig. I test the soil under metal scrape, checking softness, feeling earth, grind under my nails. One inch, two, how far must I go to release you? Each week of creation bound you to me. Five was a joy, six a relief. But on the seventh, I did not recline. There was once your heartbeat there. And with my eyes aslant, I let you slide out of the jar into your hole at the base of a pine, into the depths of this opening I have dug that keeps you secure in the family pot, unlike a drain that leads to the sea. Uh, this is inspired, I uh, live in beautiful downtown Canoga Park, and I'm used to hearing uh, police helicopters on a regular basis, so this was kind of spawned from, from that. The hum, 
of helicopter blades gives rise to a police parade. Spotlight on home in hills it rides. Curves of Mulholland traces a widow's peak down steep slopes trampling tundra over hot canopy of gopher hammocks or rattlesnake abode near coyote lair. Circle, circle. Diaphanous haze meets moat float tango, tracing vortex tips through rotor slice cacophony. Hover the bones made ill by Santa Ana's, wrestles the night like a migraine coma, perp or perv screwed courage to the sticking place, under barbs and thorns safe in crawl space by screen talisman warding off pendulum divination of angel light and demon noise lulling me to sleep. This is called My Father's Falling, and uh, it's kind of self-explanatory. My father's falling, like the bereft in those television ads, but he calls me instead of pressing some button that reaches the saints of the elderly at 911. I'm not hurt. I just need a little help. I won't be able to lift him, yet I imagine when I arrive, he will be seated on the sofa with times and hand and two cups of peppermint tea. I swing the front door open in a rush, finding him prone on the floor, blood on his pants, biting his pain. Did you hurt anything? I'm fine. Rolling him off his stomach, I get a pillow under his head. How did you fall? I didn't fall. My legs gave out. I am weak. No time for 10 deep breaths. I try one. I can't lift you. I'm calling the paramedics. No, he screams. I wrench everything, trying to move the man who used to carry me, rush me to the doctor at 2 AM, and make me laugh so I wouldn't cry when the nurse took my blood, my blood. I call. Sirens ascend as they near. This is called, do two more poems. This is called Wild Mustard. And uh, this was inspired by hikes that I used to do with my dad in uh, the, uh, I guess it would be the Santa Susana Mountains. Wild Mustard. Tang and heat behind my teeth. You were wild, spice pestled into bone, woven of yucca thread that knits a memory hope. My father in bucket hat elevating me onto sun-worn boulders where lizards perch and king snakes coil. I could live off the land by roadsides, <coughs> excuse me, by roadsides and sandy fields along trails that wind, brush that hides the lioness. But the Aurelian fuel convalesces with coastal sage. Two conspirators explode like the molten sky citrine and vanish into the gray Pacific. Hand pulled by my father, I was assured you weren't poison. I learned by example, tasting the weed I thought was gold. The last one is called Schism of My Maker. One, flores para los muertos. Love of theater my mother gifted to me. Dust mites and a Samuel French scarript. Summer and smoke, 
I stumble upon her script notes, a piece of her as I read, a study, brevity, the bare minimum. Works defy logic, painting glorious pictures of rich and heartbreaking figures. The writing I adore, I am drawn to write. These tragic figures who almost make it out unscathed. Two, I am a master at unearthing our humanness, our faults in raw honesty, trying to understand that which makes us human, that which makes us scarred, how we can be an amalgam of contradicting emotions and morals. Good people sometimes do terrible things and so on. Making sense of ambiguity, writing and being raw, tragically flawed, is to ascertain the impossible. And in doing so, peace. Three, may I be well, may I be happy, may I be free from suffering. May you be well, may you be happy, may you be free from suffering. May we be well, may we be happy, may we be free from suffering. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa. Now you're all caught up on the first four books of the Native Blossom series, and they're available at the back or at the front at the register for, for $25, which is such a deal. Um, and that brings us to our featured reader, Cindy Rennie, um, whose chapbook, Listen to the Codex, we're launching today. This is, uh, as, as um, the guy who helped us set up, Dylan, as Dylan mentioned, sorry, as Dylan mentioned, this is um, Cindy's second chapbook and her fourth book of poetry. Um, like Nancy and Melissa, Cindy leads a double life artistically in that if you follow her on social media already, you know that she's not only a fine photographer in her own right, but she is also a fiber artist. As a fiber artist, Cindy, Cindy works mainly in collage, which you'll see at work in her poetry. Um, her chapbook, Listen to the Codex, stitches a tale that interweaves ancient mythology with science fiction, and we encounter all kinds of figures in, in the, the narrative, from native tribes to Zen practices to a self-healing robot, who I find fascinating. Like a collage, the poems in this book pull together several disparate narrative threads, using them to craft an in intricate whole. Cindy lives with her husband in San Bernardino. When I first met her, I learned that she is fond of taking nature walks, which inspires her poetry and makes her work a really great fit for the Native Blossom series. In honor of this, I'd like to share one more poem about a plant that's native to the California desert before I turn it over to Cindy. And um, this is called Moonflower, Datura Wrighty. Spring-loaded desert plants flash brown recluse, red-tailed hawk, 
couched in green, she waits along the roadside, nodding her sweet, fragrant head to passers-by. Moon hears her confessions, as sun cannot keep confidences. She covets Lily's shimmering threads. Swallow her. Visions flee all borders to escape us. Night holds her in secret like a mistress, knowing should she break free, she will strike us blind. Ladies and gentlemen, Cindy Rennie. Thank you, thank you for coming. I am delighted to be the newest member of the Native Blossom family. And I thank Skylight Books for hosting us. So I'm gonna start out with Finding True Home. It's the first book, book, first poem in the book. Okay. And the epigraph is by Oana Stefanita. One day we let us in. Every culture had a fertility goddess, creation, life, spring, seed. Mayaya, eldest of the seven Pleiades, earth goddess, intense black eyes, protected the city, overripe, worshipped, honored life source. Nature rhythms touched earth, grew to sky, new birth. This next poem I'm going to read to you two ways. So it looks like this in the book. So I'm going to read it up and down and across. And it's kind of fun to see the difference in how this story comes across. Origin. Around his arms, hollow like open barrels, yin and yang, her blonde hair, green jacket and thigh-high boots. Jungle dress linked the dots. She arose like a phoenix, stepped out. She said, I see stories. Untouched, she soaked texted with her eyes. Air rose, steam boiled, drenched and covered in balm. The entire class looked, leapt to confusion. A story of all the places she's lived, never fitting in on those arms of flight. And now across. Around his arms, untouched, she soaked, hollow like open barrels, texted with her eyes, yin and yang, air arose. Her blonde hair steam boiled, green jacket and thigh drenched and covered in balm. High boots, jungle dress, the entire class looked, linked the dots, leapt to confusion. She arose like a phoenix, a story of all the places she'd lived, stepped out, never fitting in. She said, I see stories on those arms of flight. So I actually created this poem in a collage. So I had some of the images that are in it, and, lots, and then I created lots of circles like a grid and put these words inside. And so it's fun to kind of take poetry off the page sometimes and see what happens. So that's kind of gave me the idea to go across and down because I had this grid happening already. Learn to fly. This poem came from 
My actual conversation and overheard conversations at a coffee house and interesting things are said, and you will see, because I did not make these things up. Okay, I couldn't. All right. He regarded the date bar's display. She reached, captured a glimpse of the womb of heaven. People wrote, painted, and sang. He flew corporate people, taught flying, and fixed planes. You are a bird, she said. Selected weaving is fun at the outdoor book exchange. He ordered vanilla latte to go and peeked at a unicorn covered in feathers. Someone really said that last line. I'm not making this up. A unicorn covered in feathers. And how could that not be a poem? <laughs> so I also mentioned myth. Um, in my art, I had developed kind of this feminine figure with antlers, and I used this for a while in my fiber art, and I really didn't know why. I just really liked her, and people responded to it. Uh, I've sold every piece that has this on there, and it's not like I sell all the time. And it was a long time, and I found an article last Christmas on Facebook. Okay, someone shared this, that before Santa Claus in the north, the far north, there was a female deer that flew, a goddess, and she had full antlers. She did not lose her antlers. And so, you know, this woman, this deer goddess, existed. And I love this about writing is that you discover sometimes things you don't understand why you've written them. Usually I find an answer eventually of what it means and why it's there. Antlers. The deer goddess asked the sun to return. Raindrops delivered the message. Snow wrapped itself around each word. Hidden behind the mist, sun darted from star to star, only hearing part of the request upon the world, and came to rest in her antlers. So the next poem is the first one of the self-healing robot. Don't ask me to explain that one either, but I can tell you that the idea came when I was in a plane, which I think you will see from the images in the poem. A series of actions. One, the self-healing robot explored the edges of the ice slick dam. His footprints cut the veins of mud mechanisms. Old canyons forged a tree shape, branches patterned for miles. On his command, the earth dared to claim the coated river and altered its mechanical functions. Once, the robot walked a complex labyrinth on the blue grass valley floor. Circle of lines caught his eye. He imagined a flute, a song of motors. Snow flashed like dark mirrors as a pair of trees cross-hatched pale waters, poured out turquoise and gray until rain created surface tension on a lake bordered by pollen. Two, later, the robot asks a cloud why the drifting shadows don't follow the sound of migration, like empty pockets in a cave spoken to air. Spirit isolated. 
three. Above this cloud, he was surprised to see a metal praying mantis held by wings as it swayed side to side like the wind, rotated its head, ready to show him the way home. Woven through this book, I have a series based on the God's Eye. I am wearing a triangle with turquoise in the middle, seeds from Colombia and Peru that are the Eye of God because I discovered that this symbol has gone throughout history to many, many cultures and religions around the world and that fascinated me. So this is the first one I'm going to share. Remember. Remember before the sun filtered his stare through his infested olive trees, she lit candles in each room. Later, I extended a taper and ignited tea lights, thought of my grandparents. Tell me, who would run over a lizard? One by one, the pigeons flew in an ark and left one behind. This swiveled like a woven god's eye beside an altar of remembrance. So another poem in that series is All Seeing Eye, which is actually the one that started the series. The wren perched at the back of the mailbox by the curb. A hararo seed circled in his mouth. I stopped my crunched steps. The wren did not flee nor notice me. He hopped to the front. I watched the cracked seed tumble to the cement. His wings spread to cross the street in a search of new spoils. Upon closer view, rays blazed from a triangle of sticks. The central seed became an eye of safety. I tasted the soul of burning earth. So Anne mentioned how I get inspired by walks. So the beginning of this poem happened on one of my walks. And then, you know, imagination comes in. Okay. So I want to read the poem. Um, that's the blossom on the cover is Black Sage. And I found out that um, you only have black sage honey when we don't have a drought. So there's none available, but maybe next year, because we finally got rain, right? And uh, it's a native plant. I live in San Bernardino, and so it's native to there. And this is after Blueberry Elizabeth Morning Snow. I am a seed, breathe a circular breath, pulse. My heart becomes an eye. I see through a web of cut patterns to say the ring of seven spheres carries the planets, moon, and solstice sun. To say a sphere of fixed stars and the zodiac. To say, an outer blue ring holds solid the phases of the moon. Black sage bound in red and white thread. Smoke palpitates in the peripheral. Earth a bullseye in the medicine wheel. I rooted south, the way of the healer. My eye extinguishes sage in small stones. So this book also has some poems about ritual. And 
I don't know, I'd see all these pictures, you know, of the sun going through the cave and hitting an exact point and all, again in different places in the world and cultures and I finally got to experience this at the spring equinox in Joshua Tree. So this is my experience with that. One, hiking in the desert cool, we look for equinox light as it cuts rocks split, corn ground, sky, silver, shadow. Longhorn sheep leap, worn stones, family keep footing bleat, creep away from two-leggeds, steady beat. Do not fear, sacred spirit snake. Arrow of light pierces narrow hollowed space. Sun quakes, a woman's story told through flute truth. Dance with snake, slither. Dance, spirit guide, dance. Said not to fear, chance. Wide open, clear. Woman chalked on wall holds her child's hand. Two, we place gold rings on equinox stone. Our hands press on the granite heat. Vibrations meet, healing rhythms through our fingers. Bands charged with ancient language. When stone people speak, animals sing, and trees mark where not to sleep. Lie on the sand. Hands grasp quartz, feldspar, reveal generations, sun returns. Outsiders claim this nation, own this water, insist with a fist upon worship in a building. Altitude, latitude, the witch stares at voices while people strain boundaries and stitch the sun. In a circle, eyes close and we choose oracle cards. Mind reminds, let go, create space, move on, disregard. Face north, silence. Face east, reverence. Face south, remembrance. Face west, glance. Climb to the pinnacle like sheep, spectacle. Pack, blankets, chocolate, flutes, chairs, oracle cards, water, lotion, hats, backpacks, journals, jackets, sunglasses, pens, crystals, chapstick, walk. And so this is a ritual. Dirt ritual. Scoop dirt from your yard into a small dish. This dirt used to anchor a grove of olive trees. If the dirt is muddy, it will be harder to gather. A bit of leaf or twig is okay. Thank the earth for sharing. Wonder if a bug is captured in the dirt as you shut the door. Place the dish next to a white candle. Light the candle. Bring protection to your home and blow out the candle. So I found out, I live in San Bernardino near the foothills and you know the area, Redlands, Riverside's all known for the oranges, but in San Bernardino they grew olives and so there are many very very old olive trees in my neighborhood and I never knew that because no one talks about olives in Southern California, right? Olives. And they were a major producer of olives. So uh, this poem didn't come from that, but talking to a neighbor who knew the history and had lived there way before the city was really a city. Okay, so the title poem, Listen to the Codex, is a good example of collage. Again, a lot of different stories coming together. 
And before I read this, I want to share that I have some Black Sage treasures that if you buy a book today and get a number inside, you will win one of them. I've been gathering them for a while. I did learn that Black Sage smudge is a softer scent than the regular white sage, and it, it inspires dreams. So I have smudge sticks, and I have tea and candles. So... Um, Listen to the codex. Did she ever use that word? You couldn't hear the, and her sister? Her brother died. Answer? Or the word? But the tone was forceful. And her sister? The Maya god kept a record. How did he decide the code? Each family's land and crops? Was it her sister who jumped off the Highway 15 and 10 crossover bridge? in Ontario at rush hour. The freeway blended from cinnamon clouds to an icy wing. She could fly to the grid. By marking an X inside each rectangle, dashes next to the rectangle indicated adult family members. The air felt like piercing rain. Was it because her brother died? Is there a word for these emotions? Dots showed the children. Ice held her close. Have you used it? Sirens and helicopters nonstop, propellers over your studio sounded like they would come into the vibrating room. Too cloudy and humid for a fire. The roadway paper. Until the foreigners came in rough deception and tore his people. You couldn't hear the answer. He kept a record. Life ended before the fates cut the thread. The rare blue pigment he used on the last page of the codex, hidden in a cave, survived. A forceful tone. So this ink is called Maya Blue, and it doesn't fade, it doesn't dissolve. They, you know, long time ago they figured this out, how to make something permanent. And maybe we'll figure it out, but they haven't yet. <laughs> so before I read my last poem, I wanted to share that I have, um, this book is for On the Line, and I like to do readings in community as much as possible and got to be a part of an NEA grant, and I'm pushing this so the NEA is important, and <laughs> And so a professor at UCR put this together. And so we went to libraries in Riverside and low-income areas, and we had art and dance, and I gave away poems. And one of my favorite times, we did this in three different libraries, but one of my favorites was these two children came, and they were like maybe six, seven years old, and I gave them poems, and they just read these poems so carefully, and then they very sweetly looked at me and said, can we have another one? I'm like, are you kidding? And so just being able to reach the community and poetry to these young, who knows, maybe there'll be poets up here doing this someday, but they really took the time. And of course, their mother's just beaming on the side, but um, being able to reach you know, this community and many communities and the NEA made it possible. Okay. Atonement. So this poem came out of conversations that I had with some of the um, artists and theater people. There was just all kinds of performance art. And at one time, a dancer danced to my poems, which I love the way that a dancer makes the poetry come alive. 
atonement. The Red Madonna washed her journal and retrieved a page about her grandfather's death. Ink bled, clouds formed towers over the columns on grandfather's grave. Now his remains settled and made light for this cemetery. Sorry, I've been busy the last couple of days, she said, placed roses, carnations, across his gravestone. The Red Madonna met up with the self-healing robot. His cells sparked like city lights on cement, sun, mist, edge. The robot had numbers to atone for a name. He stored digital artifacts and held her family secrets inside his copper cage. The Red Madonna struck a triangle, clink, bang, ting. Metallic vibrations shook the robot's cranberry heart. A light beamed on his welded hand, warning her not to touch the Jeffrey Pine her grandfather used to climb. Scrape, swish, shush, he never broke his bones, did not need a rod in his arm of bruised and yellow-stained skin. And thank you so much for coming. Thank you, Cindy. Um, as Cindy mentioned, uh, there's a prize giveaway if you buy a book today from the front register. Some of them are stuffed with special secret numbers right in the front. So if you get one with a special secret number um, and show it to Cindy, she'll give you a prize. Candles, tea, and black sage smudges. Um, I, this is like the perfect place for the Native Blossom series because there's a tree in the middle of the room. Isn't that awesome? Um, we want to thank Skylight Books so much for having us, especially Dylan, who is our host today, and um, all the staff at Skylight, and we want to thank you for coming. And yeah, stick around. Cindy will be signing books, and um, we'd love to have a chat with you, any or all of us. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.